Hello, world singers. My name is Brooke. And I'm Tyler. And this is Cosmere Cosmere Conversations. Conversations. Welcome back, everyone. So good to be here for another one of Hoyd's parables. This is maybe, well actually, guaranteed, the story that began this entire little categorization of Hoyd's tales throughout the Cosmere. We needed to go back and really look at the moon story. There have been so many theories tossed around on the interwebs about this story, and as I sat down to take notes for this long-awaited episode, I was like, this is it. I'm going to go through all of the theories. I'm going to figure this story out. I'm going to come out the other side with answers. Gosh dang it. Wow. And I did not. Nope, nothing. We found no, no we have no new information. I definitely either. left more confused than I began, which was disappointing. But I think this episode is still going to be a really good one. Exactly. So dive into the rabbit hole that is the moon story, the unanswerable riddle that Hoyd has put out there yes. into the Cosmere <laughs> universe, spawning so many theories that even our excellent researcher could not divine their way through and it's a tangled web let us know if you have some answers to this or any of the other stories that we've gone over thoughts theories queries give them to us we would like to begin though with an overview and a step into the astronomical plane yes of course with a story about the moon we need to start with the planetary system of Rishar. This is great because I took one semester of astronomy and so I feel like a real expert. So when... qualified. Exactly. No, mainly I just like I looking... also took one semester of astronomy. Back in the good old days. Mainly, I want to kind of give a perspective on Rishar. We're so often talking about the planet Rishar and the characters on Rishar, but Rishar is also the system itself. The physical Risharan system is absolutely fascinating and it's possible that we and the fan community are reading too much into the physical star map of Rishar but it's also possible that we're not we're not reading enough into the star map we should dig deeper into there might it. be way more clues in that map than we're even thinking of Let's begin with the gas giants, because it is the gas giants and their number, 10 of them, that gives us so much emphasis on the number 10 on Rishar. Yes, there is an auspicious number of gas giants in the outer rings of this system. Obviously, there's 10 of them. They don't actually have names, at least at this point. They are simply numbered 1 through 10. Remember that all of their numbers correspond to heralds as well. For example, their number one is yes, like Yesrian. And that would line up with what we are going to bring in later and the more theorizing where everything that we see in the Risharan system is a reflection and mirroring something that we see on the herald level or the Knight's Radiant level 
or the just interpersonal level. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's kind of like Greek mythology mm-hmm. where all of, you know, the planets were named after their various gods and heroes. But it does make you just wonder a little bit about this Rosharan system. When we get into the inner rings of the system, we because get... Because there is an asteroid belt, right? Yes, I believe so. So that's the dividing line, much like we have an asteroid belt after Mars. In the Rosharan system, there's an asteroid belt and then the three interior planets. Yes, and we're pretty familiar with those three. We've got Ashen, which is the closest to the sun, Roshar, and then Braze. Diving further down the celestial rabbit hole, we have Rashar and its three moons. This is obviously what we're going to be talking about a lot today. The three moons are named Salus, Nomen, and Mishim. Yes. What I think is going to attract a lot of theorizing and interest from the Cosmere aware or even just the Rashar aware is that the color of each moon is also seemingly corresponding to be significant (laughs) to our shards on Rashar cultivation honor and odium yes and I guess we should just back up slightly and say that the three planets Ash and Rashar Braze clearly correspond to at least the mythology in the Voran religion where you have the tranquiline halls where humans are originally from and where they will go back to, aka Ashen, and then Rashar, obviously their planet, and Braze, which is also damnation. It is so important to remember those religious connotations and the historical importance of all of these things, and that is also what makes these individual parables so meaningful and how we talked about last episode, how the parables might not all be from Hoyt, might not even be from Rashar, and can be and possibly are, you know, interrelated across the Cosmere. So I believe that's kind of a good setup of the context of the celestial map of the Rasharan system. Yeah. So those three moons, let's just differentiate them a tiny bit because we are going to be talking about them and their differences throughout this story. Salas is the first moon and the moons all rise and set in the same exact order every night. So Salas is the first. It is the smallest moon and it is a violet color. And then we have Nomon, which is the middle moon, and it is a bright pale blue. And then we have Mishim, which is kind of in the middle. It's smaller than Nomon. It travels the slowest across the sky, and it is a green color. Clearly, this is what we were talking about, lining up with the shards. The The individual colors of the shards reflect that with odium being violet or purple, honor being blue, cultivation being green. The similarities may continue as we tell (laughs) this story and as we go on, but I wanted to take a quick aside and actually mention the Shin's mythology about these moons because... Yeah, because there are different different sets of mythologies on the planet around the moons. Very similar to our own moon, which has an endless supply of different stories. Personifications to it, etc. 
The Shin specifically refer to the moon as three sisters, and the birth order is reflected in what you just said, with Salas being the oldest sister, Nome in the middle, Mishim being the youngest sister. That, of course, doesn't perfectly line up with our idea that these are the shards because we know right. that vessels are different than sisters or that's yeah. not their relationship. I thought that was interesting because I feel like we would expect the Shin to have the most accurate mythology around them. But in this circumstance, it seems at least like maybe they do not. There are some other thoughts from different cultures on Rashar, for example, in Natanatan, Nomon is considered to be male, and the singer culture actually calls Nomon Honor's Moon. So they're very direct about this. When it comes to the story of the moon and where all the wild theories begin, we actually get two different tellings of it or references of it. I completely forgot about this until I went back to take notes for this episode. I did not remember at all that Sigzel actually attempts to tell this story at the very beginning of Oathbringer and fails quite spectacularly. And then we hear it later from Hoyd. I just thought that was like a funny little thing. And it's a great example of interweaving and world building when you have characters that are referencing or talking about something but their understanding is limited or different than someone like Hoyd and so you can see how the story is interpreted differently by different people and the comparison then of course is what we like here and what we are going to do what I would like to do is you know take a lot of chunks from this individual scene and kind of play back and forth. Would you like to be Sigzel or Kaladin? Okay. Quote, no, no. He took a deep breath. There had to be a way to explain this. What would his master do? Now, Sigzel said, scrambling at an idea. Everybody knows that Misham, the third moon, is the most clever and wily of the moons. All right. And this is relevant. Why? Because of a story, Sigzel said. Hush. I mean, please listen, sir. You see, there are three moons, and the third moon is the cleverest. And she doesn't want to be in the sky, sir. She wants to escape. So one night, she tricked the queen of the Natan people. This was a long time ago, so they were still around. I mean, they're still around now, but they were more around then, sir. And the moon tricked her, and they traded places until they stopped, and now the Natan people have blue skin. Does that make sense? Kaladin blinked. I have no idea what you just said. Um, well, Sigzel said, it's obviously fanciful, not the real reason that the Natan people have blue skin, and, um... It was supposed to explain something? It was about responsibility, but he had not really explained it well, end quote. Now, right there, not only do we get a exploration of Sigzel and kind of more about his character, but we also get what he takes out of the story and what he while stumbling, thought was important enough Mm -hmm. to tell, or I guess Brandon thought was important (laughs) enough to tell through Sigzel. And I think that kind of the key takeaways for me, let me know if you saw anything else, was the focus on the third moon, the cleverest of the moons Mm -hmm. is what he called her. Then a concept of wanting to escape the sky or escape heaven, Uh really important. And a trick of some type that involved the queen of the Nanatan people. 
Yeah. I think also the concept that this is seen as a story of how the Natan people got their blue skin, which is, you know, the sort of moral of the story or the explanatory reason for the story is something that we've talked about a lot with these parables. So I think that's sort of something to note here. And then I thought it was also interesting to hear more directly, again, like a moral of the story, that this story is supposed to be about responsibility, or at least that Sigzel sees it as a story about responsibility, which I found very interesting. And I think it's interesting just to see Sigzel tell these same stories as Hoyd because Sigzel's personality is so different than Hoyd's. And he is clearly, he's Azish, so he has a bit of that bureaucrat uh, in him. And I think he tells the story very much in that way of like, fact, 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 moral Moral. of the story. (laughs) Whereas Hoyd is much more um, artistic and interpretive. And has said specifically multiple times, like, I'm not going to tell you the meaning of the story. Exactly. The meaning is for you. And Zigzal's only purpose is like, fact, fact, until we can get to the moral of the story, which I didn't do that well. And we'll talk a little bit more um, about the story in detail. But I do think it says something about Zigzal that he chooses to interpret this as a story about responsibility that like, well, this is really the, the story about why the moon needs to do their job correctly. Because... You know, if you shirk your job, something bad is going to happen, which is not the moral that I would take from this story. I do think that's very interesting in the different morals that you can take from this story, because if we're saying from Zigzal's perspective, who's the one who is supposed to be responsible? Because depending on how far you want to go in reading into this story that we hear, there could be a lot of different people who are not being responsible. Yeah. And I think that the question deepens when then we start to apply it to the big Cosmere aspects and the shards themselves. Let's explain the story again, but this time from Hoyd's perspective. Yes, let's get a little bit more in detail. And so far in these parable episodes, we've not been detailing the stories um, very much. But we're going to on this one just because so many of the details are important and we will be talking about them. So this is Oathbringer chapter 67. If you want to read the full thing for yourself, go for it. We'll start the way Hoyne starts, which is, quote, Everyone knows that Misham is the cleverest of the three moons. Though her sister and brother are content to reign in the sky, gracing the lands below with their light, Misham is always looking for a chance to escape her duty. End quote. And there we see the similarities between the stories kind of very clearly laid out. Yes. Escape her duty, escape the sky, and always this concept of the cleverest of the three moons. Yes. Then we shift to Queen Sa of Natanatan, and she is supposed to be a great architect. She's built these beautiful tall towers in Natanatan, and Misham, as she comes across the sky one night, says, quote, Almost they reached my domain, Misham called. One wonders if you are trying to obtain it, end quote. This to me jumped out as the mythology from our own history about the tower of babel absolutely the tower growing too tall to the sky above the heavens above and then a curse 
coming yeah. out of that tower a of concept of like human hubris mm-hmm. and like trying to raise oneself to the level of a deity and that being sort of frowned upon of course being punished mm-hmm. for how dare mm-hmm. you try to come up here where you don't belong yeah so that's kind of the vibe i get from this beginning with misham as she's kind of like mm nice towers but in sort of a backhanded way where she's like kind of be careful what you wish for and i think the concept when it comes to the cleverest we'll see that mishim is dishing out compliments that she knows will feed the ego of queen saw and then also then going to reverse it in the next pattern and kind of take away that same thing your tower looks so great but let's go to the next (laughs) little yes yeah so she continually gives queen sa compliments and then she also talks about how wonderful it is to be a moon basically and is like i get to see all of the stars up close they're so beautiful i get to see star spren and like you wouldn't understand it because you're a human who belongs on <laughs> Earth, and I'm a moon who belongs in the sky. You just wouldn't get it how how pretty everything is up here. But she does try to lure her in, like, but you could, we could switch places. And Queen Saw kind of puts on this facade of piety. She keeps saying, "Oh no, no, no! You know, I am just a lowly human. I couldn't possibly. I'm a devout person. You know, it's only for the moons to be in the sky." And then eventually, as you said, Misham tries a different tactic, and she tells Queen Saw, "Oh, you know what I saw from way up here? There's a problem with the roof on one of your towers. Your tower is about to collapse. Yeah. You need to get up here real quick to check it out. And the queen's vanity gets the better of her, supposedly, anyway. And so she's like, okay, 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 I'll do it. We'll switch places. I will be really, really good. I'm not going to enjoy any of those divine sights that are only meant for celestial beings. And so they switch places. Misham has a great time enjoying being a human enjoys all of the human pleasures well and right before she leaves and goes enjoys those human pleasures she does tell queen saw specifically oh also don't let my siblings oh yeah know that you are up here it's just going to be our little secret like don't let anybody know one night only exactly and then she goes down to earth and just starts rocking it yeah this is just just like partying really hard (laughs) seemingly has a real great time then end of the night rolling around those moons gotta go home well she misses it she's partying so hard that she misses the moon set so she has sort of a cinderella turns into a pumpkin scenario goes back up to the tower and is like oh dang it the moon has already set i can't switch back now so she's stuck on earth and the queen is stuck as a moon and so misham spends the whole day just like oh my god Now she's going to spend all of this time with my siblings. They're definitely going to find her out. We're going to be in trouble. And so the next night when Misham comes to the tower and the queen rises as the moon and they get to chat, the queen tells her, yeah, you know what? They did. They found me out. They knew right away I wasn't you. But it was cool. They they were really nice about it. (laughs) Yeah. Like, we got along. We hung out the whole time. And it was great. 
this is where the horror of the story begins to be made clear because we thought, you know, things were going one direction. We thought we knew how the story was going to end. And then Misham has the realization yeah. of like, wait, wait, what do you mean it was great? Because I want to go back up there yeah, now. Like, I, I'm ready. I'm tired of being a human. Get me back to my moon job. Yeah, she had one day in the light and it was just like, oh, this is this is not as great. That is very much what happens after a night of partying, folks. <laughs> you go to the same place in the middle of the day to pick up your car and you're just like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> That's what happened to Misham. And Basically. she wanted to get back up in the celestial wonderland. And now Queen Saw's like, you know what? I like it up here. Actually, I think I'll this stay. is great. <laughs> and so Misham calls their their oath back into mind and is like, hey, dude, you told me that you weren't going to enjoy all of those divine things. So you broke your word and we have to switch back. And Sa is a woman of her word. And so she switches back with Misham. And then we get this quote, though, just before she set, Misham heard a song. Oddly, Wit added a small line of blue smoke to the brazier. It was a song of laughter, of beauty, a song Misham had never heard, end quote. It took her a long time to understand that song, until months later, she passed in the sky at night and saw the queen in the tower again, holding a child with skin that was faintly blue. They did not speak, but Misham knew. The queen had tricked her. Saw had wanted to spend one day in the heavens to know Nomon for a night. She had given birth to a son with pale blue skin, the color of Nomon himself, a son born of the gods, who would lead her people to glory, a son who bore the mantle of the heavens, end quote. A son who bore the mantle of the heavens. Yeah. And now we are left with all of the mystery of this story because, yes, we have the general explanation. Like, this is the mythological explanation for why these people have blue skin. Yeah. But then we have several questions along several different levels. Ooh, I do also want to add that Hoyd actually ends the story by saying that Misham learns her lesson from this scenario. She never leaves the sky again. And she also quote, comes to know the one thing that before only mortals had known, loss, end quote. And I thought that was just very interesting. And we'll start to come into play if we're thinking about this as Misham, the moon, is sort of a stand-in for cultivation. That is, of course, the big connection. If these three moons are talking about or referencing the three shards and their colors all match for that As specific, they surely seem to be. It definitely seems that way. And if it's that, if that's the case, then what I think we can infer, what the bigger or the underlying message is, is that there was some type of extreme loss and a betrayal among those three beings. Yeah, it's like, is this a story about honor having a baby with a human woman? The affair that broke honor. As we have postulated on this podcast in the past, is that what this is about? Referencing. Yeah. I think that there are several questions. And the first one comes from Shalon. Hoyt is telling the story to Shalon, and she says... Quote, eventually, only Shallan stood before him. Wit smiled at her. Why that story? She asked. 
Why now? I don't give meanings, child, he said. You should know that by now. I just tell the tale, end quote. In his very horde-like fashion of never giving an answer. But we have other perspectives on Rashar as an origin story. Yeah, this was something surprising that I learned while I was researching for this episode. Because the, we actually have a word of Brandon about the origin of the Natan people, which is that they are a result of humans and Sia Amians uh, having children together. And just as a quick reminder, the Sia Amians are the ones that have slightly blue skin, like they're very, very pale, white, bluish. And then they have deep blue nails and they have crystalline blue eyes, plus the ability to change their form at will and their shadows fall the wrong way, supposedly due to a connection to the cognitive realm. So Sia Amian's super weird. They apparently had children with humans and created the Natan people. Okay, so that's from a word of Brandon, yeah. which makes me think that in story, Sigzil is the most correct one, that this is not actually the real reason that the mm. Natan people have blue skin. Mm -hmm. And he's like, this is mainly metaphorical. And yeah. he's correct. It is mainly metaphorical for that specific purpose. It's probably not the beginning of the, or the genetic reason that the Natan people have sure. blue skin. Yeah. And but so then I was like, well, then is this a story about the origin of the Sia Amians? who also have like bluish skin yeah if it's really just like the origin origin story yeah because obviously there was the scourge of amia and so amians aren't really around anymore so maybe they like switched the meaning to make more sense with mm -hmm. a people that is still around and would be the you know descendants of those sia amians yeah i think that's a very good idea in a way that it keeps it it keeps Brandon's running concept of mm -hmm. like the history, you know, is coming from stories that are probably, you know, adaptations and right. morphine continually change yes, all over incredible amounts of time. And so that's definitely interesting. I like the idea that a actual creation between a shard and a human or between a shard and a mortal would result in something slightly more magical than just blue skin. Yeah, exactly. Whereas, like, a connection to the cognitive realm where your shadow is always going backwards. That, that makes would some like sense. make more sense. It does seem like if a shard and a human were going to have a child, like that child would have cooler powers, I would hope, rather than just like being blue skinned. <laughs> so there's that. I also kind of went down the I went down this rabbit hole that there's a theory that Sia Amians and then also the Natan people are the result of humans and spren mating, which is also like an explanation for why Sia Amians would be partially in the cognitive realm. And they kind of look like honor spren, all like pale bluey. Now I So there's just another thought. Yeah, and I really like the idea that these things might actually still be linked in what if your theory that you just postulated is correct, that Sia Amons are the result of a mix between Spren 
and mortals. But the reason that the honor spren, let's just pretend in this instance because they're blue, the reason that the honor spren felt that that was okay to do and an honorable thing to do is because of what happened in our story. Mm. The actual honor mated with a human and had... And created something else. And then the spren mated and created Siamians. Yes, that would be Got it. the way to like keep it connected. Maybe there is like a one-off type of thing. Or I'm still not 100% on board with like, how did spren come into existence? Excuse me, how did the sentient, more advanced mm-hmm. spren come into existence? You know, maybe that was probably too far of speculation. But like maybe that is an origin story that Hoyd would be interested in telling as well. It's mm-hmm. like, where do the sapient sure. spren come from? Yeah. But I just want to constantly be connecting it back to, what if this is the shards? Because that's the biggest theory around this story. Of course. And I think that it answers a lot of the kind of subtle hints and questions that we've had about what happened to the shards, why is cultivation you know, seemingly in hiding, and we, in Rhythm of War, got a lot more odium, but we still don't know about yeah. the honor and cultivation of it all. Well, yeah, we don't know what happened to cause honor to go mad, which we have heard from several different sources that near the end, honor was acting erratically and sort of not his normal self. There are many reasons that that could have happened, but we don't really know why. And so this story is theorized as an explanation for that because the thought is potentially Honor had an affair with a, a queen human. Saw. Sure, with with the queen, whoever that was. And therefore we have the son of Tanavast line, which is the queen's child explanation for Kaladin. And then this is also why Misham slash Cultivation would feel that big sense of loss at the end. And then, as we stated in previous podcast episodes, this could be an explanation for why and how Honor would go mad with his oaths being at odds with his shard intent. Okay, you just threw like five different theories all down at once. Yeah. And that's why people love this parable because they're like, great, I can throw all of the theories in and this parable is an explanation for all of them. Exactly. It's the <laughs> lizard people of conspiracy theories. It's just whatever you want it to be. And in this case, the different things that you just thrown out, I want to go through like one by one. A, I love the idea that this explains honors madness the conflict between the shard intent and his actions. Yeah, I think it's the best explanation or like most compelling explanation that I've heard for the downfall of honor. Of course, that then has multiple, you know, like a snowball cascading effects. The dominoes have been knocked over by honor. And then it's something that seemingly affects the spren, the honor spren specifically, and the heralds as well, I feel like whatever is happening to our heralds and their madness that they're dealing with would only be magnified if honor was dealing with something similar. Mm. Like I, I didn't really make 
I mean, because then after honor is shattered, wouldn't they not be crazy anymore? You know? I am not saying that it's a direct causation. I'm just saying that the example that we have more information about, you know, a magical madness Mm -hmm. that is specifically caused by like an inversion of your intent or your Mm -hmm. desire, uh, I feel like honors would only be more powerful, more potent. And if it is a version like that, uh, then clearly it would impact everything around him and he is connected to everything. And so you'd get this just like ripple effect of his negative inversion of honor. And I also think it's a good explanation for cultivation's seeming lack of direct involvement in the events that have led up to the Stormlight Archive. Why would this explain that? Well, because if there was a betrayal, and we see this as honor and cultivation were a romantic couple, Mm -hmm. there was an intruder in Odium who they maybe both stood against for a long time, deepening their bond. But then a lowly human comes up one night and seduces honor you know giving it like the most you think cultivation is just abandoning humanity because of this slight of course the only Hmm. reason that everything seemingly happened from cultivation's perspective would be y'all got what you deserved like you came yeah, up, you messed up also... my home you you humans you're homebreakers you're home <laughs> you, you've wrecked my house and i think the impact of the like honors version is madness and cultivation's version is loss or something akin to yeah i mean i think i think it would make sense that hoyd like makes a point to say that misham experiences loss and that would line up with cultivation and a romantic relationship being damaged in some way i don't think it has anything to do with whatever she's doing now that's totally fair. I am not 100% there. This is the crazy theory section because, as you said, anytime someone has a theory, they can just latch it on to whatever idea that they want. So then the other big one that people love for this story is the whole Son of Tanavast business and seeing this as proof or an explanation for Kaladin's existence as the capital S, son, capital T, of Tanavast. That is definitely how I felt for a long time. And it was, to me, the explainer, indirect though it may be, but this to me was like the glaring evidence. Yeah, you know, we've, the beacon we've talked on the about hill it so much. Of just, yes, clearly Kaladin is the son of Tanavast. Now, what I find interesting upon rereading this story and the connection more to the Sia Amians, mm-hmm. the Natan people. I'm less convinced upon rereading that this has anything to do with Kaladin. Yeah, agreed. That was kind of the one thing that I came away with after researching for this episode was like, hmm, it does have a lot of super interesting stuff and theories packed in there, but I don't actually think they have anything to do with Kaladin being the son of Tanavast. First of all, the line of Tanavast, 
I feel like would still be Sia Amians because As they you have blue they skin. Weird. They would have, yeah, like weird special powers. That just makes way more sense to me than like, well, Tanavas had an affair and then they're basically normal humans that are slightly special all the way down until Kaladin. <laughs> That are slightly special all the way down into Kaladin. Yeah, that's kind of the thing is like, if Kaladin is quote unquote, capital S, special, then every single one of his ancestors would also be capital S, special. There's yeah, no like, way you could like skip everyone and get If anything else, he would be the least special because, because the bloodline yeah, has been diluted. That's always the problem with bloodlines as they go. Uh, <laughs> but I think that this goes hand in hand with a word of Brandon that was always the counterpoint mm -hmm. to the Kaladin is the son of Tanavast theory. So like whenever someone like me comes along and is like, Kaladin is the son of Tanavast, <laughs> then the counterpoint is always this word of Brandon. Now, when we apply it to the story, I think there's maybe a broader connection here that we're missing, that it's both obvious and not as special with a capital S as we want it to be. So let's read this word of Brandon the question about Kaladin's bloodline, and Brandon says, quote, One thing I wanted to be very careful about in writing the Stormlight books is to stray away from people needing some kind of past or heritage to be special. It's okay for this to be for some characters, but it becomes a crutch. So your answer is no. He doesn't have much secret to his heritage, though his mother grew up wealthy for a dark eyes, and that's a little odd. End quote. I knew you were going to love that word of Brandon because you hate bloodline specialness. <laughs> I do hate bloodline specialness. And even when I was saying, I think that Kaladin is the son of Tanavast. Yeah, I you was were always saying, like, I don't want it to be this, <laughs> but I think that it is. And so here is my point. And this is like how everyone can coexist happily in the world. All your theories can be one theory. What I think Brandon could be saying with this quote and how that could still apply when it comes to a lineage is that there was a connection from shard to mortal that did lead to a specific individual who then went out into the world and by the point of the stormlight archive that could be incredibly diffused throughout the population where mm, mm -hmm. many people, including Dalinar, including lines unconnected to Kaladin, but like a large percentage of people are in be... some way like descended from Tanavas. Yes. And that while the Stormfather would be able to pick out that connection because of like, you know, if the Natan people are blue enough for everyone to see, maybe Kaladin is just like a twinkle of blue, just a <laughs> dot of blue. And that is sure. a way that the Stormfather can see that. he is not really any more special than not, like, exactly. anyone else, basically. Yes. That this may be still a connection to the original line of Tanavast, but it is not in the way that like Aragorn is the king because he is the direct descendant right. of Isildur. Like that yeah. is not the same thing that we are seeing here. It's just like... Yeah, like all y'all are connected, you weirdos. Stop I like, fighting. Yeah, I like that. The more like there's a little bit of God in everyone mm -hmm. type uh, thought. I've seen some theories online that perhaps there is a difference between 
the power of honor having a child and Tanavast, like the vessel human having a child, and that this is a story about the former and that Kaladin is the product of the latter. Oh, so, so there's even more division. In yeah, the, so there's betrayal. a thought to give you Kaladin, son of Tanavast, groupies, hope out there. It's a cool band name. Like, I, I might be a groupie <laughs> for that band. What I do find interesting about this possibility is that in a way similar to the end of Mistborn when like one sixteenth of the Mm, army and the mm -hmm. population was able to do a specific thing that maybe there will be some connection that's more like that that there is a cross-section of maybe at this point like all of our characters that would be cool i don't know if it would cross the singer line as well but i would like it to um but like you know the horn eaters and the people from all across rashar have this connection that is you know some percentage of them are of the lineage of tanavast i mean yeah wouldn't that just be everyone it's so hard to tell (laughs) because it could be everyone over a long enough period of time yeah that's basically where humans are If we look at our own genetic history, I think they have identified like 16 or so mitochondrial eaves are what they are called, you know, the Adam and Eve story, and that we have common ancestors. Exactly. Because there just didn't used to be that many humans around, and then life was really, really hard for a very long time. And so we've whittled away. But I don't know if we're on the same time scale, because for humans, that's taken 200,000 years, give or take. Mm -hmm. And the the humans on Rashar have only been there for 10,000 years or less, or around that. So it's a way different time scale. Yeah, I mean, I think... I'm coming away from this story now just much less on the Son of Tanavast situation. And I find this a satisfying explanation for the Sia Amians. And you've always loved the Amians. They I have, have been always loved your the mystery Amians. that is They're so interesting. They are. Like, why? Don't we have stories from their perspective? Yeah, it's just so much more interesting than, to me anyway, than like a lot of the other things that get a lot of airtime in Cosmere circles. Like, let's talk about the Amians more. WTF is happening here. It would be a great backdoor explanation or introduction to the Amians because we've seen them in the novellas. We've seen them in a We've really only here. see the one. Yeah. Axie's the collector. Way back in, I think, Way of Kings. But we have the potential and possibility that they become a significant player as the battle for Rashar gets into the really important phase. At some point, we feel like the Amians have to step up in whatever capacity they currently exist in. Maybe that's not as good as they once were, and they're kind of in hiding. That's what it seems like they've been. But we also know that the the power of the Amians, of both types of Amians, is really, really interesting. And as you know, a member of Rashar, they're going to care what's happening on the planet if Eh, everyone is fighting. Theoretically. Maybe they're just waiting for everyone else to get wiped out so they can, like, have their land again. Now, the unspoken or the left unspoken part of this theory of the three moons is, of course, 
that third moon. There is oh, yeah. an odium Solace. that we're yeah, leaving out of this entire equation. Now, in some of the stories, Solace is said to be female, not lining up with our vessel. Right. But Yeah, I think actually all of them that we know of anyway have referred to that moon as a female. Only Nomen has ever been referred to as male. Correct. Yeah. Yes. And so I find that interesting. Mm-hmm. We clearly have the knowledge that Reza is male. Like he is not yeah. uh, presenting any other way. He's always presented as very male and mm-hmm. the vessel as male. Now, odium, the power, is not anything right. as genderless. But I do find that while we have this story of the three sisters and kind of coexisting around Rashar, there's not a lot of emphasis on the three actually interacting. Yeah, really the only thing that Salas does in the story as Hoyd tells it is uh, I think it like rises at one point and oh yeah it rises because it's the first one mm-hmm. so it rises it doesn't say anything to Misham as she is on earth like oh no did they notice and the first moon rises says nothing and that's like it the involvement of Salas yeah. in the story yeah it's just like Salas chose not to say anything to Misham, even though clearly she knew because the queen says like, yeah, they knew me right away and we hung out all night. Now, if I am of the perspective that this story is all about the three shards, perhaps Odium used this moment of weakness between honor and cultivation to advance his plots for right i mean it would be one of those things where like he doesn't have to do anything he can just stand back and let them destroy themselves (laughs) that's exactly and you could definitely see Raisa making that argument in some past event because he was still kind of making those arguments yeah in the most recent which led to odium tearing him apart and putting night blood right in front of his heart (laughs) but i think that that definitely could have been the the cunning aspect of Raisa that we hear sometimes when he's mm-hmm. referenced by Hoyt is, you know, he's kind of a, a manipulator or one who is able to make moves when they need to be made. And if you saw your And sometimes, enemies, yeah, your move is inaction. Exactly. And you just let them fight it out. You let cultivation be all hurt and experience the loss and like retract and pull away, go into the forest, you know, I have this entire sub theory that if this happened early enough in the Risharian timeline, then maybe all of the attempts after for the shards to create like different children or, you know, subversions of themselves is somehow a reflection of this moment, this betrayal. Stay with me. What if this betrayal the creation of the Sia Amians, let's just go with that. The creation of the Sia Amians happened, and then it was only able to happen. It was only able to produce offspring because it was with a human. And the only way that the shards can do something similar is through magic. Yeah. They can't actually have children of their own right. because of that are their like greatness. Physical entities. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so instead they create things like the Night Watcher. They create things like the heralds. They do all of these different manipulations of magic to kind of replicate the 
the great betrayal. Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing that you could say as a child, again, at least as far as we know right now, is the sibling, obviously, which is the product of intermingling investiture of cultivation and honor. We've talked about how weird it is that their name is the sibling when seemingly they have Have no no siblings. (laughs) They are just the child. (laughs) Exactly. So I'm kind of piggybacking off of that concept. But I think she is a sibling. I know. But like like we've talked about before, the Night Watcher is different because it's only of cultivation. The heralds are different. You know, like they're not really what I would call children. Because they can't create children. The closest they can get is the sibling. But they tried a bunch of other things. They tried the maid, which then became unmade. They tried the heralds. They tried Night Watcher. But they are trying sometimes independently, like Cultivation Mm -hmm. creates the Night Watcher by herself. Yeah. But that is because she wants to have a child and can't do that with honor in the way that he was able to do it with the Queen Sa of the past. Okay. That's not necessarily a theory that I believe, but that's the craziest thing that I could possibly connect is that like literally everything is because it's in there. I mean, that's the thing about this story is like you can really wrap up a lot of stuff in here. So you can explain whatever you would like through the moon story. Do so. (laughs) If it is why you failed your last test in high school or college, that's because of the moon story. If it is the reason for all of the desolations, moon story, <laughs> son of Tanavas, moon Anything, story, everything yeah. is the moon story. So go ahead and wrap all of your different conspiracies up into one and you can just summarize it to us just like moon story. But really, do tell us what theories you have about this story. Tell us your thoughts about the Natan people, the Sia Amians, the son of Tanavast, the honor cheating on cultivation, just all of it. Give us your thoughts. Like I said, I am leaving this slightly more confused than I started with because there's so many threads that get tied up here and uh, either help me get out of the web or just join me in the web. Exactly. Confusion loves company and you are welcome to join us in this web of confusion on any of your local social media sites, your Twitters, your Reddits, your Facebooks, even got a Patreon. You can come over and join if you would like some more nonsense as we are currently talking about the Skyward Flight series. Which has been so much fun. It really has been a great reread. The launch of Cytonic is happening either very near the release of this episode or after this episode has aired. Go out and check that. It is not Cosmere related, but it is great. Brooke, can you take us away? Until next time, life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination.